Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Paul says, Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of the Messiah. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross or the torture stake of our Master, Yeshua the Messiah, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace be on all those who follow this standard, and mercy also be on the Israel of Yahweh. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I carry the marks of Yeshua on my body. Brothers, the grace of our Master, Yeshua the Messiah, be with your spirit. Amen. This is Paul's concluding exhortation to the Galatian Gentile believers in the Messiah. It's a summary of the epistle. These last few verses kind of sum up the entirety of the letter. It's like when you get to the end of a letter, let's say that you're writing to somebody that you love and you want to stress what is most important. You want to say in brief what matters the most. You want the reader or the readers to remember these points specifically, these highlights. So I want to jump right into this today because I've got a lot to cover in these three verses. But I want to start with verse 11. It's a short verse, but there are a few interpretations of the verse. Um, from the HCSB, it reads, Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. The King James Version, same verse, says, Ye see how large a letter I have written to you with my own hand. Now, good scholars argue for either translation and understanding. Either translation is legitimate from the Greek text that Paul wrote. Some say that Paul is making a, a reference to the individual letters, the size of the individual letters that he's writing, that they're big. And others say that Paul is talking about the letter as a whole, the epistle of Galatians as a whole being a large or a long letter. Oftentimes, authors in antiquity used a scribe or a secretary to write letters for them. The author would speak or dictate what he wanted to be written, and then the scribe would pin that down. For example, in Romans 1.1, it says, Paul, a slave of the Messiah Yeshua, called as an apostle. But at the end of Romans, in Romans 16, verse 22, it says this, I, Tertius who penned this epistle in the Master, greet you. Tertius was Paul's scribe for at least the letter to the Romans. It was a letter from Paul, but it was written or penned down by his scribe or secretary named Tertius. Now, Paul would also sign his name at the end of his letters in his own handwriting. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 16-18. It says, May the Master of Peace himself... Give you peace always in every way. The Master be with all of you. Verse 17 is the key here. He says, This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. 
This is a sign in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Master Yeshua the Messiah be with all of you. So Paul did this for probably two reasons. One, he wanted the recipients to know that he valued them. So he would sign his name to make sure, hey, Paul values us. We're important to Paul. And I think that Paul also wanted to steer people clear from forgeries that were going around at that time. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul warns the readers not to be troubled or easily upset in mind by a word or a doctrine or a letter as if it came from Paul or one of his companions. So there were different forgeries that were going around, and Paul knew that if he gave his signature at the end of the letter, people would know, okay, this isn't a forgery, this is authentic. So, did Paul use a scribe here in Galatians? Some scholars say no, and they go with the King James Version rendering that Paul is referencing the length of the letter. We might object to this by saying that Galatians is a short letter. Not a long letter, especially when we compare it to like Romans or 1 Corinthians. Romans is 16 chapters. 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters. Galatians is 6 chapters. Now, no chapters and verses are added by man, but if you count the words and the paragraphs and the pages, Romans and Corinthians are over double the length of Galatians. But we need to understand that this view... The scholars and the Bible commentators that take the King James Version view, they don't hold that Galatians is a long letter compared to all the other letters of Paul. What they say is, is that Galatians is a long letter for him to write all by himself. These scholars think that Paul wrote the entire book of Galatians and didn't use a scribe or a secretary. And then at the end he's saying, look how long a letter that I wrote, all of it, in my own hand. Let me show you something interesting that Bible study nuts like me like to look at. Look at Hebrews 13 for a second. Now remember, Paul said, look at this long letter, KJV, that I've written in my own hand. Hebrews 13, verse 22, is going to show us something in comparison Nobody knows for certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people think that Paul did, but it's you can't pin it down. Some people think it was Barnabas. Some people think it might have been Timothy that wrote it. Nobody knows for sure. And it's just like there's some books in the, in the Tanakh. There's some books in the Old Testament that nobody knows for certain who wrote them, like the book of Ruth or the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, people say, well, um, they speculate on who wrote those particular books, but you have nothing in the book itself saying who wrote it. Regardless, look at what Hebrews 13.22 says. The author of Hebrews says, Brothers, I urge you to receive this word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Now, if I use my Bible here, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is about ten pages long. Galatians is about four pages long. Yet Galatians may be called a long letter by Paul, and Hebrews is called a few words by its author. Why is this? Well, no one knows for certain what was in the mind of these writers in these particular small excerpts. But it could be that the author of Hebrews, this makes sense to me, the author of Hebrews could be speaking of, in the book of Hebrews, he wrote about many different subjects, but he didn't go into detail, much detail on any of them. 
And so he's saying, look, at I've written to this to you in just a few words. And what goes along with that is there's a place in Hebrews where Paul says, I, I would go into this in more detail, but you can't sit still long enough to obtain what I'm wanting to tell you. <laughs> Basically, that's what Paul says. So it could be that few words means few words for each subject. Whatever the case, I find things like this interesting, that Hebrews is longer than Galatians. Yet scholars, some scholars say Galatians, Paul is referencing a long letter, and Hebrews is just talking about a few words according to its author. So, why do other scholars think that Galatians 6, 11 is speaking of the individual letters rather than the entire letter? These scholars view Paul's epistle as a whole and notice that his common practice is his signature and conclusion. And so many of these scholars say that Paul picked up the pen and wrote with large letters at the end of Galatians. And most of them say they think he was just emphasizing the message that he was writing there at the end, the conclusion. Kind of like if you, you're writing a letter or something or writing a post on the internet and you hit the caps lock button because you want to emphasize what you're saying. A lot of scholars take that view. Now, I take the view, my personal belief on this is that Paul writes in large letters because of something that he's already said in this epistle. If we did not have anything else to couple Galatians 6.11 with, I would probably take the long letter view as a, as a whole. But I think that Paul is speaking of finishing out this epistle in his own handwriting, and he wrote in large letters because he had trouble with his eyes. He couldn't see well, and so he had to write in bigger letters so he could see what he was pinning down. I believe the Galatians knew that Paul had bad eyesight, and so when they saw those large letters, they said, Yep, that's Paul. He definitely wrote this. Now, think about giving somebody with bad eyesight a Bible with tiny print. Now, I like a, a big print Bible. I was looking at Brother Dan's Bible before the service, and his is bigger print than mine, and I like that. But I didn't got too used to my Bible. I'm not switching now. <laughs> so, But my Bible is not real, real tiny print. But there's been times when I've been walking through Lifeway, and I'll pick up a Bible that I think I like, and I'll open it up. And I mean, it is minuscule, like really, really tiny. And I got pretty good eyesight. But I don't even want to read a Bible like that. And so some people... Open up a Bible with that real, real tiny print. They say, I, I couldn't read that. If somebody gave me that Bible, I, I couldn't read it. I need a big print Bible. So the larger the letters, the more you're enabled to have visibility to what you're reading. Now, somebody might say, well, Brother Matthew, look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. That's reading a lot into the text. Some people might accuse me of eisegesis or reading something in that it doesn't say. And if all that we had to go on was Galatians 6, verse 11, then I would agree that that would be reading a lot into the text. But in this same epistle, we have something previous that Paul's already said that I think lends help to understanding 6 and 11. That's Galatians 4, 13 through 15. I'll read it here. Paul says this earlier in Galatians, writing to them. He says, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. Notice that, physical weakness, talking about bodily ailment. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of Yahweh, as the Messiah Yeshua himself. So Paul is saying, the first time I came to preach the gospel in Galatia, I had problems physically in my, in my body. 
I think part of this was the eyes because of what verse 15 says, but it could have been other things in his body as well because Paul suffered severe persecution. He was stoned, he was flogged a few times, shipwrecked. He could have had other problems in his physical condition. But the the Galatian congregation, they didn't look at Paul's physical condition as something that was a burden to them. Like, ah, this apostle is going to be too hard to take care of. Send us somebody else to preach. We're going to have to wait on him hand and foot. Paul says, no, you didn't treat me like that. You treated me as like I was the Messiah himself. That's how good you treated me. Verse 15, he says, what happened to this blessedness of yours? The reason he says that is this is the after the second time, or now he's writing to them and they've kind of changed their tune. They received him as the Messiah at first and now they've he's turned into their enemy because he told them the truth. But in verse 15 he says, For I testify to you, if possible, that you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So, obviously this in verse 15 is a figure of speech, but the point is, is that Paul was so loved by the Galatians in his first journey to preach the gospel to them, that if it were possible, they would have given him their good eyes that they had to replace the bad eyes that he had. So when we take this passage about physical weakness and then, if possible, tearing out their eyes and giving them to Paul, and we couple that with Galatians 6 and 11, that is why I believe that Paul picked up the pen at the end of this letter. I think he used a scribe, and at the end he picked up his pen, even though it was hard for him to do. Could have had even hand problems and everything from all the persecution. But he wrote with these big letters just to emphasize his love and his care for them and to make sure that they knew This was from me. And that's all interesting to learn and to know. But more importantly, I want to look at what Paul wrote with his own hands. And we'll begin in verses 12 through 13. What did Paul write here? He says, verse 12, Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of the Messiah. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Every commandment of Yahweh is good. The problem is men often take commandments, they twist them, they turn them a little bit in order to fit an agenda. And what started out as a good commandment ends up being a bad tradition or a bad practice. Anytime that we take a commandment and we misuse it or we abuse it, it becomes null and void. The beauty and the goodness of the command becomes null and void. Let me give you a couple of examples here just so you kind of see what I'm saying. The fifth commandment says to honor your father and your mother. But what about a parent who abuses a child? When a father or mother begins to use their power to their own advantage in order to manipulate the child, it then becomes a sin of the parent. Ephesians doesn't just say honor your father and your mother, talking to the children, but it also tells the fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So a father can misuse the authority Yahweh has given them. Yahweh has given us fathers the authority as to be the head of our home. But we can abuse that authority. We can misuse that authority. And we can the whole time that we misuse it, we can just quote, honor your father, child, 
honor your father, son, honor your father, daughter. But the entire time that we say that, we could be seeking to carry out our own will rather than Yahweh's will. It's a good commandment, but when we misuse it or abuse it, it becomes null and void. Here's another example. The sixth commandment says, do not murder. There are some Christian groups throughout history and some today that would go so far to say that this commandment means that we should never kill under any circumstance. So if someone breaks into my home with the intent to harm my family, some people teach that even in that case, I cannot protect myself using self-defense to the point where I may have to kill the intruder that wants to harm my family. Uh, They're called pacifists, people that believe this. Is that what this commandment is about? Does the sixth commandment forbid self-defense even to the point of taking the life of someone who is trying to commit murder or who is trying to commit rape or some kind of capital crime? Well, of course not. That's not what the sixth commandment is about. Um, The commandment is not do not kill to start with. It is do not murder. Speaking of taking a life um, uh, vindictively or taking a life for no reason, just because you're a criminal or committing criminal activity. But this commandment becomes void when we try to teach that it means something that it was never intended to teach. All of the commandments mean certain things. And when we twist and turn their meaning, they become null and void. Likewise, with the commandment of circumcision. Circumcision is a good commandment. Um, I believe in circumcision. I had all of my sons circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant. But circumcision was not given to be used as a free pass to do anything else that we want to do. We'll see this in verse 13 that the circumcised preachers here in Galatia weren't even law keepers. They kept the law of circumcision, but their whole life and heart wasn't devoted to the law of Yahweh. They weren't interested in Yahweh's laws, plural, but they were interested in the outward show. So circumcision wasn't given for you to receive and then think, all right, I'm good, got my ticket punched, everything's going to be okay, doesn't matter really what I do from now on. I've got the sign of the covenant, I'm a Hebrew, so forth and so on. Circumcision was not the way in which Abraham was made righteous. The Bible calls circumcision, the circumcision of Abraham, a sign and a seal of the righteousness of Abraham's faith. Faith preceded circumcision. In Abraham's case in Genesis 12 where he says, look at the heavens and and he makes all these promises to Abraham and then it goes further into Genesis 15 where he makes a covenant there with Abraham. And all of this happens while Abraham is uncircumcised. And from Genesis 12, I can show you the timeline and I preached on this. From Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 17 is about 25 years. 25 years where Abram walked with Yahweh, meaning he followed Yahweh, but he was uncircumcised. He wasn't given the sign or the seal until Genesis 17. So faith, belief in the promise that Yahweh made Abraham is what justified or declared Abraham to be righteous. Faith preceded circumcision. Faith was the deciding factor in Abraham's salvation, not circumcision. And once Abraham received the sign of circumcision, Abraham, being the righteous man that he was, didn't take that sign as a free ticket to just do everything that he wanted to do. We continue to read in Genesis, and Yahweh promises Abraham's son Isaac all of these 
great and precious things, great and precious promises. And he says, because your father Abraham kept my commandments, plural, my statutes, plural, not just my one commandment of circumcision. See, so Abraham didn't use it as a free pass. Now, those who want or wanted to make a good showing in the flesh, and the flesh is a reference to the actual physical circumcision act, and also because they believe that going through that act is what turned a Gentile into a Jew or what turned a heathen into a Hebrew. So they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They were compelling or forcing the Galatian Gentile believers to be circumcised. It doesn't mean they were holding them down. It means they were forcing them with their words or with their doctrine. And they wanted to boast about their flesh. They wanted to use the Gentiles as a trophy on their shelf saying, look how many Gentiles that I forced to get circumcised. And then they forget about everything else. They want to make a good showing in the flesh, a good, good face. That word showing in the Greek means make a good face, put on a good outward show. Um, uh, from time to time I watch, uh, I like to watch um, food shows. I enjoy seeing uh, cooking and all of this and I got on a kick recently where uh, I was watching one called Kitchen Nightmares. And this world-renowned chef, he would go into these <laughs> restaurants and they would just be a disaster. But there were some that were a disaster. And the day before he would show up, you know what they would do? They'd clean everything. Go into the kitchen, clean everything. Make sure uh, uh, even up underneath the tables was clean. And he'd come in and he'd be like, oh, wow, this, uh, this is great. And then he'd taste the food and... You know, everything will be, be terrible. But what were they trying to do? Did they really, were they really interested in a clean restaurant? No. What they wanted to do was fake out the world-renowned chef that came in and make a good showing in the flesh. See? So that's what the uh, Judaizers were trying to do. Look at all these Gentiles I forced to get circumcised. And the Judaizer would look like he was righteous on the outside. But if you spent time with the guy, he didn't care about Yahweh's law. Uh, Paul also says here in Galatians 6 verse 12 that the reason they did this was not just to make a good showing in the flesh, but they did this to avoid persecution. And remember, persecution in the first century wasn't just being talked about wrongly. That is a form of persecution. Uh, Yeshua talks about this in Matthew 5, that when somebody curses you, you're to bless them or count it all joy when they speak evil about you. So that's a form of persecution. But persecution in the first century for belief in the Messiah often meant you will be stoned. You will be flogged. You will be spat on. You'd have your beard plucked out. Think different things of that nature. Physical persecution. And Paul was persecuted this way for the cross of the Messiah. And what that means, I preached on this when I talked about the offense of the cross. How that, remember to the Greeks, the message of the, the cross was, um, was foolishness. Why was it foolishness? Because why would, you, why would you want to believe in a Messiah that got crucified? Why would you want your Savior to be somebody that got put to death? And then it was a stumbling block to the Jews because anybody that was hung upon a tree was, was cursed of Elohim. I don't think that this is what Paul is talking about right here. It could be part of it that there was an offense there, a persecution for believing in the cross. But I think what Paul is talking about here is is that Paul taught that the cross of Messiah, the torture stake of Messiah, whatever you believed he died on, a T-cross, a tree, a tree, an upright pole, uh, I've heard arguments for all of them, all that misses the point. The point is, is what happened on the torture stake, see? 
Paul was persecuted for believing that the act of Yeshua's death was what enabled a Gentile, a heathen like Cornelius or like Titus, to be in a right relationship with Yahweh apart from being a Hebrew, apart from converting to Judaism through ritual circumcision and a few other outward things that the Jewish people wanted the Gentiles to convert with. Paul saw the torture stake of Yeshua as the means through which the Gentiles gain access to the kingdom. Look at this earlier in Galatians 3. I preached on this a long time ago. Galatians 3, 13-14 says, The Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in the Messiah Yeshua so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham was the gospel that Yahweh Himself preached to Abraham, saying, in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. And when He said in you, He was speaking of in Abraham's descendant that would come many, many years later. Speaking of the Messiah. That is how the families, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed, singular. Well, some of the believing Jews did not like this. Thus, when Paul went around preaching the gospel, he caught a lot of flack for it. He caught a lot of flack for accepting in a man like Cornelius to the table or a man like Titus to the table. Even to the point of sometimes being physically abused and persecuted for what he taught. Now, the influencers or the Judaizers wanted to avoid this type of persecution. And if you read Paul's epistles in the New Testament, you'll see that a lot of times it looks like Paul is saying that being persecuted or being willing to undergo persecution was the mark of a true apostle. And anybody that didn't want to preach something for out of fear of being physically persecuted, they're not a true apostle. And I think that's why Paul says in verse 17 in Galatians 6, he says, from now on, don't let anybody cause me any trouble because I carry the marks of Yeshua on my body. That word marks in the Greek is stigmata and it refers to bruises and sores and scars from being beat for the Messiah. Don't, don't cause me any trouble. I've got marks on my body for what I believe. Where's your marks, Judaizers? I think that's what Paul is saying. And you can read about this also in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says that they're treated like garbage and filth. They're reviled, but they bless. They're slandered, but they still exhort. And they love their enemies. Paul is saying we've, we've suffered all day long um, for what we believe. But yet the Judaizers, they don't want to be persecuted. So what do they do? They don't preach the cross of Messiah as the means that the Gentiles get to enter in and be attached to Yahweh. How do, what do they preach? They preach circumcision. They put the Messiah and, and His crucifixion over here on the back burner. They say, yeah, we believe in that, but we're going to set that to the side because what really makes a Gentile saved is him going through the act of ritual circumcision to become a Hebrew, a proselyte Jew. And Paul's saying they're doing this to avoid persecution. A lot of times people put their things and their agenda above the Word of Yahweh. I'll never forget one time I, I went to visit. I used to visit a lot of congregations in hopes that I would get to talk and share with the elder or elders of the congregation. 
Sometimes I did, sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't go so well. But I would usually end up in the pastor's office after the service and we would talk and sometimes it would be good. But, but other times, he'd say, I, you know, I'm not interested in talking to you anymore. But I remember there was this one Messianic uh, synagogue that I went to and I sat probably about midway in the congregation. There might have been a hundred people there. And I remember this man and woman and uh, they were, they weren't real old, but they, you know, maybe, maybe in their 60s, something like that. And um, they had a little box there. And inside that box, they had kippahs. You've seen the kippah that the Jewish men wear right here on the back of the head. or Some people call it a yarmulke. And I'm not against that. Um, I recently read in, at the beginning of Leviticus where uh, the high priest, Aaron, he was told to put the mitre on his head when he would minister before Yahweh. And some translations say the turban on his head. And then on, on the front of that mitre, he would have this gold plate and it said holiness to yod um, So I'm not against if somebody wants to do that, but I can't find anything in the Scriptures that requires a man to wear a kippah at all times or some of the time. I know that Aaron, the high priest, was required when he ministered, and some of the Levites were as well. Yahweh tells them don't uncover their head in certain places. They were to wear the mitre or the bonnet on top of their head. It was part of the holy garments. But this lady told me, she said, would you want to wear a kippah for the service? And I said, no, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And, and she just kind of looked at me like this. And she said, well, you know, the Messiah wore one. And uh, I said, he did. I said, can you, can you show me a scripture where he wore one? Well, he wore one. You know. Usually when you ask them for scripture and they, they don't really have one, they start getting a little fidgety, right? And I didn't want to cause a scene. So I, I left that as it may. But it upset her that I didn't want to wear that, that kippah. Um, people a lot of times put more stock in their traditions and in their agenda and in what they want rather than what the Scripture says. Um, we can all be guilty of that. I've found in times that I've been guilty of that. And I've had to repent and not do that. And uh, as we continue to learn and to grow and we make changes in our faith because we find out where we were in error and, and we want to always love Yahweh more. And we can always tighten up a notch and do better. But we want to make sure that Yahweh's Scripture, Yahweh's law is paramount, not our own agenda, like the Judaizers. So here is the motive. The motive of the Judaizers is not Scripture. The motive is not even the commandment to be circumcised. The motive is, number one, they want to avoid persecution. They don't want to be persecuted like Paul's having to go through. And number two, they want to boast about somebody else's flesh. Look how many Gentiles I compelled to be circumcised. I can't help but think that in some churches growing up, people or preachers would often say, I got such and such people saved last week. Or I got such and such people saved this month. I ne that never sat well with me. It never sat well with me because I felt like they were always trying to do this. Look at me. Look at what I did. When salvation doesn't happen because of us, <laughs> salvation happens because of Yahweh and His Spirit. And it moves on a, on a person. So, they wanted to avoid persecution, make a boast in somebody else's flesh. That's it. It's the easy way out. Make oneself appear to be righteous. And then Paul talks about the hypocrisy in verse 13. He tells us in verse 13 that even the circumcised, those Jewish believers in the Messiah, who were pushing this circumcision doctrine for salvation and right standing, 
They didn't even keep the law themselves. What a statement. We need to realize the force of that statement. Paul is putting an indictment on these men (laughs) that they appear to be holy, but they don't really even keep the law. How were they not keeping the law if they were circumcised? The key is is that they were keeping the law of circumcision and maybe a few other outward laws, tassels, phylactery, beard, long robe. Few of these laws that made them look the part, look like they were a Hebrew, look like they were staunch and pious, but they weren't truly interested in devoting their entire life to the Creator. I'll just do this one thing and forget about the rest. Brothers and sisters, the outward laws are the easy laws. It is not difficult to make tassels on the four corners of your garment wherewith you cover yourself. That is not a hard law. But just because you see somebody walking around with tassels doesn't mean that they are a law keeper. It could just be an ornament. It could just be a show. So this can happen to us today. So long as we see somebody, let's say they wear their tassels, they come into the congregation, we've never seen them before, they've got these long tassels on, they've got the beard, they dress modest, they look Hebrew. Do we just accept willy-nilly that they're Yahweh's child? Or what about a change of heart? What about a life that is devoted to the Creator? What about a desire to do all of the Father's will? What about things like love and self-control and gentleness and joy and peace and faithfulness? All fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned just previous in this same letter in Galatians chapter 5. What about all of that? If a person loves Yahweh, it will affect every area of their life. Not just the four corners of their garment or not just their face. But every area of their life. You will not be known as a child of Yahweh just because you look different on the outside, but rather because your entire life and person has changed. You're not the same. Everyone around you knows it, but you're a humble servant who even mourns over your own sins, no matter how advanced you become in sanctification or in holiness. You will always see and seek for ways to improve your walk with Yahweh. I've told people before that the closer that a person gets to Yahweh, the more penitent and mournful they'll be about their failings and their sins. This is why. It's because the closer you get to Yahweh, the more holy you realize Yahweh is. The further you are away from Yahweh, you have some kind of recognition that He's holy. And you may be repentant of your sin, but when you really become involved with Yahweh and you're in every, every day, you're in prayer, and in meditation and the reading of his, of his law word, you become more aware of how perfect and how great and how mighty and how holy the Creator really is. And so therefore seeing His holiness more perfectly, you see your unholiness more perfectly. And you continue to mourn for your sin. It is amazing to me that these influencers who pushed the law of circumcision were act, actually breakers of the law. They focused on one outward area and ignored the weighty matters of the law like mercy and justice and faith. This verse proves that the influencers, the Judaizers, did not care about the law. They only cared about their agenda behind it, their teaching. It's no different than, remember when some of the Pharisees brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery? And, And the outward show looks like, well, they're concerned with justice. They want justice to be carried out for an adulteress, on an adulterous woman. 
But if you read that that text, now I'm not even sure if it's supposed to belong in the Bible, but it, it could be a true story that took place. But if you read that text, you'll see that it says that the whole reason that the Pharisees brought the woman to Yeshua was to try to trip him up and find a reason to accuse him and bring him before the Sanhedrin. That was the whole reason behind it. Their agenda was not justice, which is a weighty matter of the law. Their agenda was, we've got to get rid of this teacher from Nazareth. He's stirring up too much trouble in our midst. He's teaching things that we don't teach. We've got to get rid of him. That's the agenda. That The Judaizers had an agenda too. The outward signs in the law only mean something if there is an inward reality. I could line up the whole city of Conyers and put tassels on and it wouldn't mean anything. The outward symbol only means something if there's an inward reality. There's been people that I have baptized that don't serve Yahweh. But yet there's been people that I have baptized that serve Yahweh with all their heart. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. With the Master's Supper, we come here and we take the Master's Supper and we wash each other's feet. Those are outward signs of the new covenant, the covenant in the blood of the Messiah. But those outward signs become null and void in somebody's life if the inward reality is not there. Just because you take a piece of bread and wine that represents the body and the blood of the Master doesn't always mean that you really believe in the body and the blood of the Master. Just because you wash somebody's feet doesn't necessarily mean that you're interested in serving your neighbor when you get up from there. That's just a sign. When we, re- when we kneel down to wash each other's feet, it's a sign of humility. But you can do that and then leave here and not really love your neighbor. Not really serve your neighbor. The outward symbols become null when there's no inward reality, brothers and sisters. If I understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge and prophecy but I don't have the love of Yahweh in my life, I am nothing. If I can tie a tassel exactly right, and my beard is big and combed, but I don't love my wife as the Messiah loved the assembly, what have I done? If I figure out the exact day for the Sabbath, but I haven't trained my children to love and serve their neighbor, what does it profit me? Brothers and sisters, these things ought you to have done not to leave the others undone. It's not about keeping one commandment and boasting in that. It's about keeping all of the commandments and boasting in none of it. But saying, as the parable the Messiah told, saying, I'm just an unprofitable, unworthy servant. I've only done what I was required to do. The love of Yahweh is to keep His commandments, plural, not one commandment. Not just the commandment of circumcision. Not just the tassel commandment. Not just the phylactery commandment. The love of Yahweh is to keep His commandments. And to do so with a humble spirit. And if your heart belongs to Yahweh, you will be interested in everything that He teaches in His law. And you will be humble. And also, you will be accepting of people who are still learning and growing. Don't be a Judaizer. Just be a faithful, humble follower of the Messiah. Don't be a Judaizer. If somebody comes in here, if a man or a woman comes in here, and they're not dressed right, or they don't talk right, or maybe they smell funny, or they don't believe everything right, don't jump down their throat. Don't, don't, don't do that. Love everybody where they're at. 
Because Yahweh loves you where you're at. And let me tell you, none of us are where we ought to be yet. So just love people. Be kind. Be a humble, faithful follower of the Messiah. Live by example. Brothers and sisters, this is not a game. This is real life. And what is at stake is everlasting life. I would hate for anybody to miss the kingdom because they boasted in the flesh and put the torture stake of the Messiah back here on the back burner. That's what was going on in Galatians. So next week I'll finish this out in verses 14 through 18. And we'll have went through the entire epistle. I love everybody and I appreciate everybody. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.